Welcome to the QSD of HR. Episode 27. Mm-hmm. We're back in the studio. We did have an interview planned for this episode, but unfortunately that's had to be delayed. So this is our um, fill-in episode instead. And um, we are going to talk about some sort of crazy and unusual ideas for weapons. Now we don't really want to glorify weapons, do we? No. Obviously, when they're used in anger or for warfare, they can be really abhorrent. Yeah, but they're, they're just quite interesting, and I like making models, and so do you, so mm-hmm. they're cool to play around with. Well, <laughs> not the real thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, models and little bits like that are cool to play around with. Yeah, exactly. There's something that seems to have caught the imagination of people since times immemorial, and there seems to be a natural human desire to compete and fight, doesn't there? Mm-hmm. And probably when I was about your age, Anton, there was yeah. um, the first Gulf War, so Operation Desert Storm. And that was kind of really exciting to watch on TV. <laughs> Even though now I'm older and I can think about it at a deeper level, you realise that maybe it wasn't quite so nice as these tanks just rushing in. Um, but there was actually a, a sticker album, so you know you match attacks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically the equivalent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the equivalent of that was the Desert Storm sticker album for me. And I got, I completed it. I got every sticker. Oh, well done. I was the only person in school to do that. <laughs> only person in school. Congrats. I'm thankful that I've never had to experience war firsthand, and I hope that you never will too. No, I, 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 don't, I don't want to either. But during times of conflict, some people get the most ridiculous and crazy ideas for really stupid weapons. <laughs> so we're looking at some of the most... Um, insane ones ever thought of. What motivated people to design such destructive ideas? Desperation? Psychotic tendencies, maybe? Mm. Is it just a few individuals who lead this, or are we all comparable? Are we all guilty of wanting to be in control and to hold power over our fellow man? Hmm. Dun, dun, I think for this episode we're going to need to use the time machine again, but um, it's a little bit rusty, so we might have to do some repairs. That's a good idea, actually, so we can actually travel back and see some of these weapons in use way back in ancient history. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe we should kind of compare weapons and see who can get the silliest idea. Okay, then. Okay, are you so ready? Maybe we should rate them on silly scale. Sounds like a good idea to me. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go to battle over weapons. Stupid weapons. Do you mind if I go first? Ladies first. Oh, that's fighting talk. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to go back to a few years after Alexander the Great died and his empire was fragmented, all his generals fighting for dominance. (laughs) Now, as you may know, Alexander's army was undefeated in battle and they were some of the finest soldiers of their age. So how do you go about fighting against them? Well, lose. <laughs> lose, yeah. <laughs> One of Alexander's generals, Antagonus, who had actually served under Philip of Macedon, so that's Alexander's dad, had a son called Demetrius. He'd been on campaign with his father, but he wasn't exactly what you call an experienced leader. And he was only aged 22 when Antagonus asked him to defend Syria for him. It's <laughs> a bit of a big ask. Yes, that's against uh, some of the other generals. And it didn't really start that well for him because he lost to Ptolemy in the Battle of Gaza and he was also defeated when he tried to attack Babylon. <sighs> I'm not surprised. But he was undeterred and he actually started to gain some successes and victories. So this is like this young lad who's come up against these very um, fearsome and 
successful generals. Yeah. And he's doing his dad proud here. And I think because of that, he probably got a bit of a big head. And along with a big head, he also got a very large attraction to massive weapons. <laughs> and one of those was a 55 metre long battering ram. Why? How would that even work properly, though? Well, how many people do you think it would need to crew it or move it? Mm, 400, maybe. 1,000. Yeah, over double what you said. But maybe if you're attacking the walls of Babylon, that's the kind of weapon you need. I guess so. But we're not actually here for that battering ram because it's not that big. It's not that impressive. There's something much better than that. Enter the Helopolis or the Taker of Cities. (laughs) Now, this is a massive siege tower. 20 meters wide and 40 tall, and it was created for the siege of Rhodes. It weighed 160 tons. Now, what's a modern battle tank weigh, roughly? Uh, 60-ish tons. So that's a hundred more. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's over double the weight of a modern-day battle tank. And like a tank, it was armored, but it was actually a timber frame covered in iron plates. So maybe not quite as impressive as a as a tank. Or a battering ram. But it's it's still pretty big. Well, it's bigger than the, it's more impressive than the battering ram, I think. I guess maybe you could mount the battering ram on the um, bottom of it. Yeah, they they did have some battering rams at the front. Yeah. Now, do you want to know about its armament? Okay then. It had two 82 kilogram catapults, <laughs> four 27 kilogram catapults, ten 14 kilogram catapults, and four dart throwers, which were at the top, and they could kind of fire darts down at the people defending the walls of the That's cities. That's quite funny. It's like these heavy catapults, and then some dart throwers. And then imagine all the soldiers up there as well, with their arrows and their spears and mm-hmm. all sorts of things attacking. Um, now, the catapults themselves, they were protected behind mechanically adjustable shutters, Ooh. which were lined with wool and seaweed, I think in little sacks or bags, which would make them fireproof. Yeah. So it's a pretty kind of clever bit of engineering. So it's something that people would forget about. It's just how good uh, engineers um, some of these ancient cultures were. Yeah. And inside, there are multiple floors, and as I said, loads and loads of soldiers in there as well. So the total crew for the Helopolis was about 3,400. <laughs> that included like the, uh, the soldiers to go up though, not just operating it. Yeah. Even with eight four and a half metre tall wheels, the uh, monstrous contraption moved very, very slowly and was very vulnerable to attack. <laughs> it's just so heavy. Imagine moving that. I can't. <laughs> Actually, our last episode on Oxen, um, after we had recorded, I found another picture of a whole team of oxen pulling a um, a windmill. Oh, and I yeah. could imagine something it similar was, here. It was quite funny. So Demetrius, he planned on using his uh, massive contraption to attack Rhodes, but it, his attack wasn't actually successful. <laughs> and there are a couple of different accounts of the failure. Um, so I used my preferred one, which is told by Vitruvius. And he was a Roman author, architect and engineer who said that the Rhodians begged Diogenes, who was also um, the architect of Rhodes. I think it's Diogenes. Diogenes, okay. Um, He was one of the main architects of Rhodes. You can understand why uh, the Roman architect favoured this story. And uh, yeah, he was begged to find a way to capture the Helopolis. And his plan was to make a hole in the wall and a channel through which um, they could funnel water and sewage outside of the city. So that would go into the, like, soak into the ground. 
then when the massive siege tower came along to attack it, it get bogged down in all the mud. Oh, that's quite clever. Mm. That also does remind me of um, when the Romans were attacking uh, England. I think I told you this before. The land was really marshy and mm. hard to walk through, so they decided to use stilts to get through it. Oh, yeah. But then the Celts um, and tribes would just chop the stilts and maybe chop them at that time. Um, Imagine that, the legions going in on stilts. That's quite funny. Yeah, it's a funny picture. Yeah, so the massive tower got bogged down in the mud and it was abandoned. So what do you think happened to it after that? Mm, was it burnt? No, he had to capture it. Mm, I don't know. Well, it was captured and they actually salvaged the metal and with all the materials and things they got so they could sell some and they could melt more down yeah. and they used it to create the colossus of Rhodes, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world mm -hmm. there's a picture there ignore the uh, winky on that statue <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this is a massive towering statue over the entrance to Rhodes. Mm -hmm. some depictions show it spanning the port uh, the like the way into the harbor but that's probably not true I think after about 80 years, it was destroyed by an earthquake. There were plans to rebuild it as well recently. But this wasn't the end of Demetrius and his super weapons. He actually built another um, helopolis for the siege of Thebes. And this one he mounted on two Quintareme warships. <laughs> Those are massive warships. <laughs> Quite funny. So that's my first weapon. So how would you rate it on a scale of silliness? One to ten, maybe? Um... I would probably only rate it like a four. Yeah, it's not really that silly or crazy. It's just large, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's. I guess you could say it's a crazy idea and like just unbelievably large. Mm-hmm. Anyway, do you have any weapons then? Um, I'll let you take control I of the time machine. A couple. Okay, then let's head to World War Two, uh, where we have the. Pigeon bomb and the bat bombs. Okay. So are these real pigeons and bats? <laughs> yes, they're not toys. <laughs> My first weapon is Project Pigeon. Mm -hmm. um, this was a bomb with pigeons in the nose and <laughs> they basically acted as pilots um, and guided the bomb to its target. Um, so I guess you could say... They were missiles, like guided missiles, in yeah. a way. Yeah, like the first one, because actually pigeons, I think they got some, that magnetic kind of sensor in their nose, like homing pigeons, that allows them to... Oh, ooh, actually don't want a homing pigeon, so let's fly the bomb home. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting idea. Do you know if that was used or not? Um, I don't think it did. I think it was, like, uh, became obsolete because newer, like, electronic guidance systems um, were much better. More sensible. <laughs> yeah. Because they were homing, but they didn't go home. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Next, we'll go on to the bat bombs, um, which were bombs with lots of bats in, and they had little explosives connected to them, and they would roost in the houses of Japan um, and find a place to kind of rest. Then the explosives will explode and then blow up and destroy the wooden houses and cause an inferno. Um, in the Japanese cities. Yeah, so I've actually heard of this one before and the plan would be you would have a bomb full of bats and they have to be kept cool, I think, so that it would remain asleep inside the weapon itself and it would be dropped over a city in Japan was the plan. 
Um, yeah, and as Anton said, they were then released in the houses and um, explode, which is kind of an interesting idea. But actually, when they tested this weapon at one of the ranges in America, the, the bats flew back to the airbase where they're testing it, and they actually started roosting around the airbase and causing a bit of destruction there. So, not the best idea. No. That's like um, the anti-tank dogs that I'll get into later. Yeah, so I'm not sure animals are particularly sensible mechanisms for weapon delivery then. No, but as we can see here, humans aren't very reliable either because they're creating some really ridiculous things. That's true. So should we rate these ones then? Let's rate them together. Yeah, bat bombs and pigeon bombs. I think the bat bombs was actually not a bad idea. Um, but So I'm only going to give it a two. What? I, you, well, you, you think... Okay, I would be more of a, a seven, I reckon, on that. Really? Mm hmm Maybe I'm just thinking differently. You're thinking outside the box. <laughs> but the pigeon bombs was a little bit... I'm not sure what people were thinking, but I guess I guess if somebody studied, studied pigeons, they would know more. So I'm going to give that a six. Okay, yeah. I am going to take control of the time machine again, please. Okay, over to you. Thank you. And I think I am going to head back to classical times again here. For But a little bit later than that, Alexander the Great, I'm going to go to Rome. In the time of Nero. And this comes from the Twelve Caesars by Gaius Suetonius. And it was written in 121 CE. And the book covers the life of Caesar and the first 11 emperors of Rome. Now, Nero, he's probably got a worse rap than he deserves. Because there's some sort of revisionist historians who are saying that maybe it wasn't quite as bad as um, has been made out. And actually, The Twelve Caesars was one of those books that kind of really blackened his name. But in one part of the histories, uh, Nero has an interesting plan to quell the rebellions in Gaul. And I'll let the man himself tell the story, OK? So I've got a video here. Yeah, from the very, very early cameras. <laughs> yes. You will be aware of the considerable unrest in... Well, in a great many parts of your empire. Perhaps you can share your intentions? Intentions, intentions, intentions. Mentions, he mentions intentions. My beloved Seneca once told me that an emperor must rule his empire as the gods rule the world. That is my intention. In three days, I will set out for Gaul myself and confront our enemies. They will learn the error of their ways. This will be a defining moment in Rome's new history, a revolution in the way Rome conducts its campaigns. I will quash my deluded enemy, not with the sword, but with art. My art, I intend to sing to them. First, I'll stand on the battlefield and let their gaze fall upon me. And then, I will simply 
weep. And on seeing how deeply they hurt me, they will weep. And in the morning, I will stand before them again. And I will sing. And my voice will reach inside them. Take hold of their hearts. And actually, I should get home and work on the song. <laughs> so, um... Psychological warfare, maybe. Mm, Do you think yes. that'd be effective? Well, other weapons have proved it, so maybe not this version of it, though. Now, Nero, he's not the last leader to sing. Um, and here's the president of Turkmenistan with his grandson doing a little bit of a rap. So let's have a few seconds of this, shall we? Yeah. Spartan the help is inspiration Makes body strong and strong all the nations Gives you a joy and raise spirit high Sports is the way to your healthy life How is amazing the place of Azar Caspian waves and birds sing it down Life is so wonderful in motherland My spending and dazzling Turkmenistan So what do you think about Anton? Pretty good? Yeah, I remember you showing me I really liked it yeah, so an effective weapon, though, do you think? <laughs> mm, to control the masses. Maybe not. No, I'm not too sure about that one either. So I think, actually, you might still be winning with your uh, animal-based weapons at the moment. But crazy, ra- ra- crazy rating, um, eight. Yeah, I think Nero, yeah, if he really did that, so who knows if he did, but going out there to want to sing to the ghouls, maybe not the best idea if um, you're at war with them. But... Also, possibly a brilliant idea because it might save you all that bloodshed. Okay, back into the time machine, and we're going to head to the 1960s to Cuba. Okay. Uh, Fidel Castro is um, the leader. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds funny. Yeah, he's won the revolution and he's in charge of Cuba now. Yep. Okay. However,. The CIA in America don't really like this, so they're going to try assassinate him. Okay, so you, you, the weapon that you're doing here is not really to try and take on an entire army, it's just to take on one man. Yeah. Okay. But he does eventually die of natural causes after 90 Oh, years. spoiler! That's, well, and I think there are like 600 attempts on, to murder him, but I don't know. That's right, yeah, or maybe not attempts, but plans, yeah. Yeah, yep. at least plans. Anyway. The first and probably the most famous assassination attempt was the poison cigar. <laughs> yeah. And basically... Smoking he, kills? <laughs> um, basically, <laughs> he was given a box of his favourite cigars mm-hmm. and all of the tips were poisoned. Um, and I think another idea could have been, like, maybe there could have been some sort of oil or something. So when he lit the um, cigar, it would have set on fire. Yeah, actually, you see in films and things like an explosive one or a yeah. cartoon. Um, but yeah, that's quite sneaky. He's the sort of thing he wants to relax after a hard day ruling the <laughs> the island, and uh, yeah, lights up his favourite cigar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, the next one is the mafia and the ice cream plot. <laughs> yeah. uh, sounds a bit random, 
But basically, the CIA were working with the local mafia and mm-hmm. with some of the most wanted um, people around. What was their plan? Their plan was to put some poison pills into um, an ice cream because Castro very famously loved his ice cream. Yes. Um, but <laughs> kind of embarrassingly, he dropped his ice cream. <laughs> so oh, he no. ended up not being able to eat it. Well, I say, oh no, it's pretty, that's good for him. <laughs> yeah. But um, they managed to, I guess you could say, hire one of the um, people who worked at the restaurant mm-hmm. to slip some pills into the bottom of his cone. Yeah. Um, but as I said, he dropped it. Yeah, so that was probably his uh, very famous ice cream parlour that he had, which I think at the time was the world's largest ice cream restaurant. I remember you telling me about that oh, yeah. quite a while ago. But there's a couple of different um, versions of the story, like... So this one might not be 100% true. Maybe it was just a plan or something. Mm-hmm. Because someone else recalls it being a chocolate milkshake okay. uh, instead of an ice cream. Actually, yeah, Castro, he was really struggled to find cows that would survive well in Cuba. Because obviously, he wanted to make his own milk on the island yeah. for his ice cream. And he had real struggles there with his love of the, the cold stuff. <laughs> <laughs> cold and hot. Um... <laughs> Anyway, next ones are the exploding shell and the poisonous diving suit. Okay. So he loved scuba diving. It was mm-hmm. one of his main hobbies. Um, and the CIA tried to make an exploding shell. So maybe he'd be um, looking around, maybe turning over some rocks. Um, Did they make it look super interesting or something? So he would swim maybe, over to that like one. like shiny shell. Yeah. Um, but I don't think this one worked. <laughs> no. Um, there was also the poisoned um, diving suit, which was like the inside was coated with a horrible... I'm not sure what it was, but it must have been like a poison or something, mm-hmm. um, which would give him some sort of disease, oh, I nice. think. Oh, nice. Well, oh, that'll... you said it sarcastically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oops. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think he ended up, like, bringing his own something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess he was pretty aware of a lot of these assassination attempts, so he was extra, <laughs> extra cautious. Mm-hmm. He probably, like, got told five years later, oh, did you know that you knew, um, that the CIA tried to assassinate you 628 mm-hmm. times? <laughs> or something. And then the last one um, that I'm going to mention is the the bearding. So basically, these uh, were attempts to kill Castro just to, um, like, embarrass or discredit him. Okay, yep. Or maybe kill him through anger. <laughs> he gets so angry that he's lost his beard. Um, yeah, they basically gave him some stuff that made him lose his beard. Oh, well, yeah, that's the plan, I think, wasn't yeah. it? To, yeah, it was character assassination. So mm-hmm. that's probably such a symbol of who he was, that if he didn't have his beard, he, that's not mm-hmm. Castro anymore. Otherwise, he would have to um, use ice cream to draw a beard on his face. That could work, actually. Yeah, chocolate ice cream. And then take a lick when you're ready. Yep. Good thinking. Oh, well, I think if there's 600 plus attempts to assassinate one man and they all fail um, (laughs) from supposedly the most powerful nation in the world against a tiny island. Yeah. I think there's probably some quite crazy ideas there. So I'm going to rate that as an eight as well, I reckon. I'm going to do a nine. Yeah, okay. But 
it clearly proves that you have to be like chased around and um, USA and CIA have to try assassinate you to live a long life because he lived to the age of 90 in the end. Kept on his toes, I guess. <laughs> yep. Very good. Okay, now I'm going to take control of the time machine once more and um, we are going to head back to World War II. I really should have done this when you were there. But, yeah, it would be um, much more convenient. I know, and... It's expensive to run this machine, but <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, luckily we get the lottery numbers later, okay? <laughs> so last episode we learned all about our lovely oxen friends. But cattle have been weaponized as well. So I've got an animal one for you here. Oh, so they have like rockets and missiles mounted on their back and they start firing. Not quite, no, they're not oh. dropping cow pats. Oh well. <laughs> now, have you ever heard of Operation Vegetarian? No. Now, if it was Operation Vegan, they would have told you about it. <laughs> anyway, so in 1942, the British planned to drop linseed cakes infected with anthrax spores into the fields of Germany. So you know what anthrax is, don't you? Roughly? Yeah, we chatted about it before. Uh, pretty nasty um, bacterium. Yep, we've chatted about it before. <laughs> uh, just casually, you know. Yep. Yeah, sort of thing we talk about. Uh, now, yeah, these linseed cakes sound quite tasty. They would have been eaten by the cattle. Um, and then the cattle would have been eaten by people, resulting in the deaths of potentially millions and millions of civilians and also lots of poor little moo cows. Yeah, but that's actually not a bad idea. Oh, as a weapon, you mean? Yeah, as yeah. a weapon. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> so you meant just, yeah, that's a good idea, kill these cows. Oh. <laughs> well, I guess it is in its it kind of, because then they'll run out of food as well. Yeah, cows start rotting. Exactly, yeah. It was a way to sort of destroy the infrastructure and things mm -hmm. without so, actually destroying buildings and things. So there was like the main idea of passing on poison and then I guess there would be some possible side effects as well. Well, yeah. I'm, Still harmful. Yes. Um, so it actually went through testing and it was um, done on a small island off the coast of Scotland called Brunard. <laughs> <laughs> um, which was uninhabited. But uh, 60 lucky sheep were given a holiday there and they were then bombed with the slurry of anthrax spores. Mm. Lucky things. They all died. Oh. Testing actually went better than expected, uh, but it soon stopped when a storm washed ashore one of the dead sheep and several local farm animals became infected ah. and died. And then here starts the chain. Mm -hmm. Destruction, death, and lots of destruction and lots of death. Yes. <laughs> so it's decided to go ahead with the plan, and the lethal linseed cakes were ready by the spring of 1944. Actually, 5,273,400 had been produced. And there are actually only 13 women responsible for injecting the anthrax into the cakes. So it's quite a lot each. Hmm. Wait, so only 13, so, and it was only those 13? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so they were busy ladies. <laughs> yeah. But by the time the cakes were ready, the Allied troops were steadily advancing across Europe. So the project was abandoned and all five million cakes were destroyed in an incinerator. <laughs> Good fuel. Yeah, so a bit of a waste there. But yeah. I guess during war, you don't know what's going to happen. So you've got to have all these plans ready. Mm -hmm, you've got to experiment. Exactly. That's probably why most of these are made. Desperate times, desperate measures. So, what of Grunard Island? <laughs> yeah. Well, the anthrax hangs around there long after the war, 
and in 1981 newspapers began to receive messages titled Operation Dark Harvest. Dun 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 dun! Indeed. <gasps> and they contained demands from some microbiologists, microbiologists even, from two different universities, and they demanded that the islands be decontaminated. And the scientists, with the help of some locals from the mainland nearby, had actually snuck over to the island and collected soil from it. It's pretty dangerous stuff there. Yeah. So it's still really, really deadly. And they threatened that they would leave it at appropriate points that will ensure rapid loss of indifference of the government and the equally rapid education of the general public. <laughs> so that's a scary threat. So they were yeah. going to leave this in different places and... I'm trying to remember where they were posted now. There was one... A lot of soil pasted um, in Blackpool where the Conservatives were having their uh, party conference at the time. That wasn't actually infected with anthrax, but it was soil of a similar type to that found in the island. And there was one other location, I can't remember, where they actually had dangerous soil there. Mm. Understandably, the government complied. <laughs> So, in 1990, after 48 years, the island was finally safe to visit again. And the original owners actually purchased it back for £500, which is what it was originally sold for. But of course, the, <laughs> that was quite a good deal in the end, with inflation. Yes. And there's the island there, it's a little flat mound. It's quite funny. Yes, yeah, it's not far from the mainland, actually, when you see it, is no, it? No, it's, it's, it's scary. easily... I'm not surprised that one of the sheep got washed up. I thought it was going to be like a long trek from the island. No. Um, but just imagine if it actually dropped all those millions of cakes in Germany. Because we'd still be feeling the effects today. Yeah, and maybe it would spread, yeah. spread through um, to other parts of the world as well. Because obviously they're not just going to stay in Germany. Yeah, so... It's probably better off that um, we didn't drop it. Yeah. So I'm going to rate this one as really stupid mm -hmm. because using biological chemical weapons is just insane. Nine out of ten again. It's yeah. not quite a ten out of ten, I don't think. Yeah, it's a bit of a quirky deployment mechanism, dropping <laughs> things for cows to eat. Um, yeah. But I think just the scope for this to go hideously wrong. I think that there. the idea was quite clever, and that's what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. So that's my next weapon. Do you have any more? I have a couple more. Let's do the anti-tank dogs, which I mentioned earlier, and the Kromloff. Okay. Right, so uh, do we need to go anywhere in the time machine here? Um, not really. Mm, okay, that's good. We're still in World War II, so it did work out in the end. Yeah, thank goodness um, for that. You <laughs> seem to have a desire to use... Animals as weapons. Ah. Well, the anti-tank dogs. <laughs> yeah. And also... Were they fired from a rocket? <laughs> that would have been quite funny. Um, well, not really. But, um, <laughs> no. Any dog lovers, stop listening now. And I forgot to mention before, the, um, any animal lovers, stop listening from the pigeons and bats. Yes, no animals were harmed in the production of this episode. Mm, probably not. Mm. <laughs> um... <laughs> Anyway, anti-tank dogs were um, used by the Russians and they were trained to run underneath um, the tanks and then detonate and then blow up oh, so they the had explosives tanks. Yeah, so killing the um, crew and the tank, but also the dog. Poor pup. Poor pup. Poor pup. <laughs> uh, okay, sounds yeah. like quite a clever idea. But 
they the dogs were often scared of the noises of the tanks and mm -hmm. uh, ran into back into Russian trenches and ended up destroying those. And especially as the shock would just go through the trench. So oh it's yeah, not much so, to, yes. I know. Yeah. Um, and I imagine some people would have been so fire. <laughs> Nasty. That actually reminds me a little bit of the war elephants that were used. Um, and then the pigs with t their tails on fire. Yeah. Back them. Yeah, yeah. So um, in Roman or sort of Alexander the Great's times, they'd yeah. have the elephants, yeah. And like yeah. you're saying. It really heavily backfired. Yeah. Also, um, really stupidly, the Russians um, trained the dogs on their own tanks. <laughs> okay. Because dogs have such a cute smell, um, they could tell the difference between the diesel and the gasoline wow. engines. Diesel for Russians and then gasoline for Germans. That's amazing, actually. Mm -hmm. That is, that's incredible. Yeah. I've also got the Krumlov. <laughs> okay. Um, is this another animal? No. <sighs> but it's actually a gun designed mm -hmm. by the Germans. Yep. Um, and... It was like a gun that could shoot round corners. Well, kind of shoot round corners. And it actually came in four different versions. 30 degrees, 45 degrees, 60 degrees and 90 degrees. Okay, so is this a like a curved barrel or something? Um, yeah, it's a curved barrel. I'm pretty sure you could like mount it or put it on a... Um, the first ever assault rifle as well was... Um, the STG forty four, mm -hmm. uh, and you could mount it on the uh, like. Oh, so this is like an adapter that. that you put yeah. at the end of the barrel. Yeah. Okay, which was like a curve. So, did you still mm -hmm. have to, like stick your head around the corner though? No, no, you could probably know they're there or something. Yeah. Um, I imagine you would already know. See, I think this is quite clever. There. Yeah, it's actually not a bad idea, mm. and it kind of worked because yeah. because of the curvature of the um barrel the bullets would like um shatter and break the barrel okay even yep. with some modifications afterwards like um some holes to stop the shock wave and mm -hmm. stuff like that um still wasn't great but depending on which angle or which version you had it could have fire no, it lasted 100 to 300 rounds before just falling apart completely yeah so i imagine maybe it can make the 50, difference, though. Maybe 50 to 200 actually useful ones mm -hmm. that have a bit of power, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, both of those ideas, I can see some logic in them there. Yeah. So you could say the engineering on the bendy gun. <laughs> um, <laughs> the bendy gun. Wasn't perhaps the best. And then the dogs, I mean... A bit inhumane. Dog mane. Mean, yeah, so you could see there again a clever idea. Not very nice for doggies, obviously. Um, but I don't think they're that crazy compared to some of the others. Not compared mm. to your pigeon. Yeah, they've missiles. got a little bit of brains behind them, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. So I'm gonna go for a three. Two. Okay. Right, let's travel I don't know, maybe ten years into the future, to the nineteen fifties, okay? Now, you would forgive the ancient Greeks for their crazy siege towers and understand, however awful, the weird weapons of World War II driven by the chaos and desperation despair of total war. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, that was quite casually said. That's my presenting voice. <laughs> I suppose. 
But you'd expect after the war, hopefully a more modern, civilised and intelligent man would emerge from the ashes. You'd be wrong. Yes, you would be wrong. Have you ever heard of Project Brown Body? No, make that Blue Bonnie. Ah, no, make that Blue Peacock. <laughs> it's the final name they settled on. That's quite funny. So how are brown bunnies related to blue peacocks? I don't know. No idea. But bunnies are sweet and soft, and peacocks are beautiful. But they make the most horrible sounds, don't they? And are oh, quite violent. Yeah, I used to be terrified of the noise they made. I, I remember seeing um, mm-hmm. one on the roof of Granny's house really close. It was amazing. Unfortunately, They're quite big as well. Yeah, unfortunately it didn't have um, its feathers out. But I've seen some nice illustrations and drawings with their feathers mm-hmm. out. Yeah, they're, they're interesting birds. Um, anyway, so what sort of weapon could Blue Peacock be? Um, a headless chicken? <laughs> no. <laughs> With a bomb in it? No. Um, well, let me tell you. Now, this weapon was only actually declassified in 2004 on April the 1st, and it's so stupid that people thought it was Wait. April Fool's joke. Yeah, I was about to <laughs> say. Yeah, people generally thought it was a joke. So after the Soviets helped us wipe out Nazi Germany with their dog-destroying tanks, <laughs> with their tanks-destroying dogs even. Dog-destroying <laughs> Yeah, that's how powerful well, these tanks were. T-34 getting much, in there. I I suppose. After it helped us and actually won the war for us, whatever Americans like to tell you, blah, 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 um, <laughs> we decided we didn't like them either. <laughs> so what better way to kind of uh, deter them from crossing over the border of Germany than to hide nuclear mines in the soil. Uh, that could blow up the world. Mm-hmm. So when the Russian tanks came rolling through Germany, they get a great big surprise. And probably wouldn't even notice because they would be obliterated. Exactly, yeah. Um, but there was a small technical issue to overcome, and that's that in Germany, in winter, the soil gets really, really cold. And this could lead to malfunctions of the weapon. So they'd need to be kept warm. Now, do you have any ideas how? Um, you could have, like, someone farting on it every minute or something. That's probably more sensible than what they did. Any other ideas? Um, I'm not sure. Having, or maybe it's, it's like a tiny explosion. <laughs> or a, <laughs> a tiny or, explosion or they, next no, to no, the, they, the nuclear mine. They make a little spark in it um, every time. These are good guesses. But not right. Do you, should we have a look, shall we? Okay. I've written this very big for you. You can say this word. Chickens! Quack, quack. Wait, headless chickens. I know. You, you were a bit close there. Oh, they would sit on the mines then, like their eggs. Sort of, yeah. So they would use chickens, was the plan. So inside the mine, there'd be a compartment with a space for several chickens and enough food. That's big. Well, yeah, these these weren't yeah, little, I was, I yeah, was little mines. Um, and there'd be enough food in there for them to last maybe a week or two. Um, but as, of course, safety here was paramount, there'd be a wire casing around them that would stop them accidentally pecking anything important. <laughs> um, That's a bit like um, my pigeon bombs then, kind it, of. Yes, it is, yeah. Um, so as you know, chickens are great incubators. Mm-hmm. I think probably inside um, that compartment they had some egg-shaped kind of nobules for them to sit on. <laughs> That's how I'm picturing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And they would keep the, the nuclear weapon all warm and cosy mm-hmm. until they died. Uh, and then they'll become cold. Oh no, they'll be stuck upright because they're, um, the egg thing's like up there. But <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yep. Um, 
obviously the British didn't actually want to tell the Germans that these were nuclear bombs or nuclear mines. Um, so they told them they were power generators, which is kind of true because they did produce some heat, I guess. <laughs> But thankfully, concerns over the political, probably not the radioactive, fallout prevented the weapon ever being used. Hmm. Yeah, which is a good thing. Yeah. And whilst we're on the topic of extra stupid nuclear weapons, um, no discussion would be complete without this. But oh, we'll talk about that in a second. But um, I was just thinking, like nobody's heard of these probably until they listen to our podcast, obviously. But um. A lot of these could have changed the world quite drastically, but then nobody's heard of them at all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's talk about um, this thing. <laughs> yeah, so this nuclear weapon here is the American Davy Crockett Personal Nuclear Rocket Launcher. <laughs> and so you just keep one of those in your garage or in your gun holster of your car. Exactly. I imagine it's the kind of device that a lot of uh, people would like to have it under does, their pillow. It does say personal nuclear rocket. Now, over 2,000 such devices were made, and they were rather inaccurate. They had a four-kilometre range, uh, so they were probably more of a danger to the launcher than the target. That's um, not great, especially if you want to advertise them. It's like, blow yourself up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how would you rate... Let's do Project Peacock. Um, Project Peacock, a eight craziness. Yeah, I'm going to get 8.5 here, because I just think, mm-hmm. what, what happens when the chickens die? They <laughs> These... go cold. Exactly, and the whole point was to keep it warm. So yeah. You, you... yeah, anyway. It's just dumb, dumb. Yes. Anyway, the Davy Crockett. Um, I would say that's a 10, because, like, if it, it's really inaccurate, it might not even fire or something. It probably isn't great. And it's only got a four-kilometre range. Yeah. So you'd blow yourself up as well. Well, I don't think that's as crazy, just because the size of the payload there is probably going to be a bit smaller. Actually, maybe so I think there's destruction. seven. Mm. Eight, maybe. I, we haven't been keeping track of the scores, by the way. So, yeah. listeners, um, I hope you have been. <laughs> any fans? So that's the last of my properly destructive weapons. Do you have any more yourself? Uh, I don't think so. And. Um, some other ones, they weren't really lethal, and that means they don't make it onto our list. Oh, no, they do. They do make it onto our list, because we are now going to cover some non-lethal weapons, because there's been a trend towards this in recent years. Mm, yes. Actually, that's a bit... Um, one of mine is quite recent mm-hmm. as well. Maybe they're inspired by Nero wanting to sing... Um, and aim to stop rather than kill the enemy. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I know, I find these a bit odd. I can't actually decide if they're a good idea or not. So obviously you don't want to harm people if possible, but there's something almost more sinister about these, mm-hmm. and it makes you wonder who the intended targets are. Yeah. Um, is it enemy forces, or is it a desire to control those closer to home? Done. 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 Mm. But I think some might be good for paintball. Okay. Now what that- the... Uh, yeah, okay, so I've got a picture here which I've just seen. So one of the oddest ones, and this was actually used in the 1990s in Somalia, and it is the sticky foam gun. That so, does actually look quite effective. Yeah, so... I would imagine it, sorry. No, no, no. 
I'd imagine it as like um, a tape gun, so you'd be um, fire some sticky tape and then you'll be mm. stuck in it, but it's like chewing gum instead. Yeah, well, it's like really extra powerful and sticky expanding foam, which you might have used for filling holes and insulating and things like that. <laughs> and if you get it on your skin, it will actually take hours and hours to remove it. Oh. Then after coming into contact with anything, it hardens really quickly and it traps the target so they can't move. Um, but that means if you get it on your face or something, you're no longer a non-lethal weapon. It's a lethal weapon. Exactly. They had mixed success for that. It's kind of a, an odd one. Yeah, so one of mine is the stink ball grenades. Uh, so these non-lethal grenades explode, releasing a 100 rubber pellets in an explosion over twice as loud as a fire alarm. Mm-hmm. They're loud. Yes. <laughs> and with a, um, with a flash, six million candles bright. Wow, yes, yeah, so that's incredibly blight. Blight? <laughs> blight? <laughs> it's a blight on the land. Um, yeah, so the rubber balls, they would kind of bounce around everywhere. Uh, it's like rubber bullets, so they're meant to be non-lethal, but really, yeah. really painful, and they'd hurt a lot. Oh, so it's a bit like um, airsoft or battle. Yeah, airsoft. Extreme, though. Yeah. Really loud, really bright. and Could that deafen? I imagine it could do. It could do or permanent hearing damage and probably damage yeah. your eyes. Um, so... It just vibrates your eyes. <laughs> Boom. And it's to incapacitate uh, people. Uh, well, I would say that's... Not quite lethal, but very, very much on the limit. Yeah. Yeah. I just destroyed our studio. Ah, I'll be fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I've got a little bit of chemical warfare here. Another relatively modern one, I think from the 70s or 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, this was gay spray, which uh, <laughs> was a rather odd idea where um, some scientists working for the military wanted to create a chemical maybe using pheromones or something that would make enemy combatants fall hopelessly in love with one another and they wouldn't be able to concentrate on the battle that's similar to stink spray because it wasn't aimed to like hurt either but mm-hmm. it was had some sulfur in it and that smells like rotten eggs and yes. food and it was more just to like embarrass and humiliate <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah oh it was actually called the who me Oh, really? Yes. Okay, yeah. Like the who? <laughs> who? Me? <laughs> yeah, it was really funny, um, but it was, like, ditched after two weeks. Like, you... They probably got fed up with it themselves. Yeah, but it did actually... The idea was to sneak up behind um, the enemy, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, one, is hard in itself, um, but then you would end up smelling of rotten eggs. How effective would that be? Not very. Really? That's yeah. why you, they got rid of it after two weeks. Just pull your gas masks on, surely. Is that our last weapons, I think? I do have another um, oh, sorry. non-lethal yep. one, yep. Uh, which is the LED incapacitator, mm-hmm. um, otherwise known as the puke gun. I think you've, you've <laughs> okay. actually told me about this before this episode. Have I? Yeah. I've forgotten all about it. Well, good. <laughs> but um, basically, it was designed for use... Uh, it's actually quite mo- modern. I think it was, yeah, 2007. Mm-hmm. And it was designed for use for, like, border guards, uh, yeah. security guards. And you would aim the um, light at someone and there'll be a kind of quick succession of different coloured flashes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it would, like, create nausea and disorientation, headaches, lots of different symptoms. Yeah. Um, 
in the person it was aimed things. at. But <laughs> the, there was a bit of a f- design flaw in it, and mm. you could just close your eyes, <laughs> 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 and you'll be absolutely yeah. fine. So you wouldn't be able to see where you're going, but. Still, yeah. yeah. That reminds me a little bit, actually. Yeah. Um, the Israelis had a weapon. I think it's called the Thunder Cannon, and it would create a tremor in the ground. And I think the vibrations and everything would also mm-hmm. cause oh, people that... to feel nauseous. Yeah, I was thinking, like, if you shake too much and like uncontrollably as well, you need the toilet sometimes. Yeah. Um, but also, I imagine, I imagine that could, yeah, the brown note. I imagine that would actually work quite well because people aren't going to know that you can just close your eyes. Maybe they'll try it, but then you can quickly run up to them like taser. Yeah, if <laughs> you're in a combat thing. situation or a riot this or was... wherever it's going to be used, then you would, yeah, you're not going to want to close exactly. your eyes, are you? And this also was border control uh, mostly, but I imagine it could be used. Um, for riots and stuff mm-hmm. so it's actually quite a good idea and people yeah. I think should use it again <laughs> there's other similar ones as well like heat rays which yeah. um, basically fire I think it's microwave energy at a point and after a few seconds make your skin feel like it's burning yeah. so, and microwave. you can only stand there for a few seconds and run off so those you can, <laughs> you can understand the idea of those more than mm-hmm. kind of the gay spray and uh, maybe the foam gun is a little bit odd as well yeah but those actually kind of make sense and those are, I guess you could say, good, uh, <laughs> gooder, um, like non-lethal weapons, and mm. you can get rid of symptoms quite easily. Yeah, it depends who's using them and why, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that's ultimately the same with anything. <laughs> wow, my profound point there. <laughs> oh um, anyway, so that's the end of our weapons. Uh, so as you can see, people throughout history have had some really crazy ideas crazy ideas yeah and just ultimately just for control or to cause harm to other people um so imagine if we'd actually channeled all of that science and technology and things into into energy astronomy or something looking at the stars exactly yeah or medical care or looking after people i mean the world could be a different place or how to help others poorer countries maybe as well like a cheap um fresh water source which we have done i think there's a couple of things but it's not being supplied unfortunately Mm. um or a cheap electricity source or easy electricity source. exactly yeah yeah green energy and instead of because one of some of the reasons why these countries don't have any of those things is because um because we've made these weapons to <laughs> destroy them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're doing the opposite of what we should be. Yeah, so I, I hope um, we haven't glorified weapons more in this episode. I no, think we've. I don't think we have. We've had a little bit of a, a joke at the stupidity of some of it um, through looking at the extremes. They also, they know like war is horrible and like not right. Yeah. But then people are like, ooh, look, there's war and there's cool things. Yeah. But then they're not thinking of the other side. They should be. You like tanks and weapons and things mm. and the games. And I think it's that balance there between, in one way, it's the most incredibly exciting thing there is, but the mm. the reality of actual real war is, is horrific, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's uh, why I quite like it. Uh, like making little stories with dioramas and painting my figures and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of your writing. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's gone all sombre at the end of this now. But thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed it and uh, you found it quite interesting to un- see what some uh, military minds have been up to in previous years in our little time trap. Actually, we haven't returned to the present. Do we oh. still have any power left? Oh, dear.
That will echo through the ages. Um, yeah, so thank you for listening. And that was echoing. <laughs> Hello, it's me here again. Recording post-editing, because I realised we forgot something. First of all, Anton now has a YouTube channel called The Curiosity of Gaming, where he is doing some Minecraft builds and there'll be other gaming activities there. So please search on YouTube for The Curiosity of Gaming channel and take a look, because he's really proud of what he's been making. And um, also exciting news, we are part of the That's Not Canon Network. Now this is a podcast network um, where there's loads of great shows that you can listen to. And as part of that, we're going to promote some of the other fabulous podcasts that you can listen to. So the first show I'd like to recommend is 20 Minute History, which is a great podcast. And it covers uh, interesting people or times or places or events just in good bite-sized episodes but anyway i will let the host himself tell you all about the show so uh back in a moment have you ever taken a great high school history class if you have then you'd probably agree that the one thing that made it so enjoyable was your teacher and understandably so At their best, history teachers are vibrant storytellers, leading you on a gripping, fun, fantastic learning journey. But sadly, we know it can be pretty difficult to continue that journey after graduation, with no one there to be your entertaining tour guide through the world of dense, obscure historical research. Fortunately, 20 Minute History is here to help with that. It's the new podcast that aims to be your very own high school history teacher for everything you didn't learn in high school. Come join us as we explore commonly unknown histories in our informative, engaging, and amusing 20-minute episodes. It's 20-Minute History, out now on all your podcasting platforms. Yeah, so where can you find us? Well, actually, you've already found us if you're listening, but on social media, Anton. Um, on Twitter and Instagram at CurieChardPod. Correct. We're also on Facebook at CurieChardPod. And we are on pretty much every podcasting platform there is. But we would really... But we really need your reviews, please, because we haven't had one for about six months now, and it's sad. <laughs> and we know all about really good, oh, amazing weapons now. Like <laughs> yeah. So uh, when we get back to the present... And I'm really old. Actually, what was that? 1950s, 1960s? Okay, I'll probably be dead. I'll be. Oh yeah, yeah. He came forward. Okay. Yep. No, you just see you when you're born. Yes, I'm going to meet myself when I was born. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for listening, and hopefully next episode we're going to have a really, really, really cool interview. Yep. With a very cool person. Yeah. So we chatted to him on the phone, and he's lovely. And he was very excited, and we were very excited. Yes, so we will see you soon. So stay safe and don't make anything crazy. (laughs) Yep. Bye. Bye. Here is a poem and flowers and trees. Here is a music and mountains and sea. Beautiful sights of rivers and sky. All other beauties in Turkmenistan. Aydın sağlar yurduyu, Can Türkmenistan, Türkmenistan, Türkmenistan. How is amazing the place I was at? Caspian waves and birds sing it down. Life is so wonderful in motherland. My spending and dazzling Turkmenistan. Sport Türkmenistan, güzel havada. Bir kök yolu uluyar, amun hazara. 
Sordum mu, sardım mu, bilen dolardı. Help! Ben sana bana, baksın mekanı.